praying and this verse just stands out to me. It says, Yahweh, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have accomplished wonders. Plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. How many of you can say that God has been faithful to you? Amen. Sometimes it's hard to see it, but he always comes through. He always provides. He always does what he says he will. Amen. And so this morning, I just want to worship God. I just want us to open up our hearts. Just receive what God has for us. Your worship looks different than mine, and mine looks different than yours, and that's okay. But this morning, let's just open up our hearts to receive, and let's just join in this worship service. Amen. Let the King of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from.
that I think Pastor Sean is talking about this morning in John, it says Jesus is the light of the world, and in him there is no darkness. Okay, how many of you like the dark? Nah, I mean, I'm not a real fan of the dark, because I can't see anything. Usually when the darkness comes, the mosquitoes start coming out. Ugh, and I do not like those. Okay, so I'm not a real big fan of the dark. But the Bible says that in Jesus, there is no darkness. Now, okay, wait a minute. Does that mean when, you know, Jesus was walking around, like, he just had, like, flashlights all over him, so there was no darkness? Does it mean, like, on the inside of him, maybe he had, like, a little lamp that he could just turn on, and so it was never dark inside of him where his guts are? You think that's what it means? No, it doesn't. So what does it mean that in him there is no darkness? In him there is no darkness. Well, we have to think, if we think about darkness, darkness means, like, evil, bad things, yuck. I don't even want to, I don't even want to think about those sort of things. But when we're talking about darkness, that's what we're talking about. Evil things, things that people do wrong or things that people do that are mean. Things that maybe bad words that are said or mean things that are said or mean thoughts. Just evil. And in Jesus, there is none of that. Isn't that awesome? Because Jesus is perfect. He's the only one who is perfect. And in him, there is no darkness. None. There's nothing bad in Jesus. That's why he says, be like me. Because he's perfect. And he says that if we, that we can be like him. And if he says it, guess what? We can do it. We can do it. So there doesn't have to be darkness in us either. When we give our lives to him, it's an amazing thing. Well, I want to show you something this morning. Let me run over here and get the rest of my props. Okay. Put my flashlight on there. Oh, right. So, I have a candle here, don't I? Pastor Sean, are you able to come help me? So I'm not fumbling all around here. All right, so I have a candle. You see my candle? And I can light this candle. Now that I lit that candle. Yeah, there's a light. There's a light, right? Okay, so now I'm gonna blow back up. Okay, so hold it up like this. We're gonna hold it nice and tall. We're hiding Pastor Sean this morning. Alright? Now, when I shine that, what do you see there? It's the shadow of the candle, isn't it? Can you see it over there? It's the shadow. You can see the glass sticking up there. You can see the down here. The dark part of the candle. Yeah, so there's the shadow. So that you can say that that shadow is kind of casting darkness, isn't it? The shadow is blocking the light, so there's darkness behind it. Right? Can you see that? Okay, so now I'm going to light this candle again. Here we go. So the candles lit again, right? Now watch this. To me, this is like one of the coolest things. Watch. You can see the flame, right? But can you see the flame back here anywhere? Do you see that flame casting a shadow? 
There's no shadow from the flame, is there? There's no shadow in that flame because that flame is light. And in light, there is no darkness. There is no darkness in the light. So just like Jesus is the light, there is no darkness in him. When we look at this light, there can't be darkness. Darkness and light cannot live together. Darkness and light cannot be together in the same place. So when we shine a light and try to make a shadow, I can't. There's no way I can get a shadow on that. Because in light, there is no darkness. Isn't that the coolest thing? To me, that is the coolest thing to know, that in light there is no darkness. And the Bible says Jesus is the light of the world, and in him there is no darkness. So if we follow him and we are in him, we don't have to have darkness inside of us. We don't have to have evil or sad thoughts or things that separate us from him. Isn't that amazing? Amen. Amen. So you can enjoy your activity sheets this morning and eat your snacks. But then also, I want you to listen because you're going to hear some of the same things as Pastor Sean is talking to us this morning. Oh, he's brave moving that handle. Woo! This morning, before I uh, get into God's word, I wanted to remind you that um, for tithing offering, how many of you have a, a tithe envelope right you know, the, in the seat that you were, well, at least in the aisle or the row that you're sitting in? It should be sitting on one of the chairs. What we were going to do with that, if you have one, you know, hold it up. I want to see every aisle have one. All right. So we have those. And so uh, what we do with those, obviously, you know, you put your tithe in there or your offering, you fill it all out. But... Um, we don't have, we're not going to have ushers obviously do this, so what you're going to do is you're going to take that, fill it out, and then wait until the end of service and you're going to put it in the box in the back on that table, in that wooden box back there. That way, you know, uh, we're a little bit more safe as far as, you know, the whole social distancing thing and all that. Um, I may not necessarily agree with it, you may not necessarily, but we're, we're coming under the authority of those that are, you know, over us, and so to me it's a small thing to sit there and say, hey, Take your um, take your offering and put it, you know, in a in a wooden box out there. Let's pray over your offering. If you have your offering already filled out, um, ask that you just hold it up as a, you know, just saying, God, you know what? This is yours. It's not mine in the first place. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we have Lord, we lift up our our tithe and our offering to you, saying, God, this is not mine, but it is yours. You have supplied me with every good thing in life. God, you are good. You are faithful. And this, to me, is, is just showing, God, how faithful you have been. So, God, I ask that you, uh, that you would bless both the gift and the giver. God, that you would bless this offering to the furtherance of your kingdom, that many would come to know you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I want to share this verse this morning for, uh, for those because oftentimes, I, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, telling, you know I'll pray for you or, um, you know, God be with you or anything else. But sometimes I think that we can use the word God and we forget about who actually is God. 
Well, the person that we're telling, they have no idea. They may think, you know, Confucius or Buddha or, you know, Muhammad or whatever. They may think, you know, Allah or whatever. They may think it's God. But in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other, uh, none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What is that name? Who is that name? It's Jesus, right? Jesus. So just thought I was going to encourage you, you know, the fact that Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one that we look no, we look no further to. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Yes. And so I just wanted to uh, just remind us because it is a beautiful name. I remember first time I sang that song, uh, there's just something about that name. I don't make it go to the, uh, the chorus, but you know, I, I would sing that song, and the first time I saw it, I just began to you know to cry, and just and I wasn't even singing. I just stopped because I looked at the screen in front of me, and I just looked at the name Jesus, and it just brought tears to my eyes, and saying, "There's just something about that name, Amen." Amen. amen. I mean, it's just man. I almost get you know teary eyed now just just thinking just about the name of Jesus, let alone the person of Jesus who saves us. This morning we're going to be in uh, John chapter 8. We're continuing our, our series that we've been doing through the Gospel of John. We're just plugging right along, just going uh, however, you know, John, you know, whatever is brought up, whatever Jesus is running into at that time, that's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to discuss this morning. And so John chapter 8, uh, verses 12 through 30. Tim, if you could play that for us. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came, and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come, and whither I go. Ye judge unto the flesh, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Then said they unto him, Where is thy Father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my Father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he said, Whither I go, ye cannot come. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus said unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you. But he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. 
but as my father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that the seed of your word would find fertile soil in our souls, Lord, that we would allow your word to correct, rebuke, encourage our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 This morning I'm going to talk to you for, for a little bit about the fact of I am the light of the world. Jesus says it in, in verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. And I saw this, uh, this meme on Facebook that had said that, you know, scientists say that in order to have life, you must have water, right? You must have air. You must have uh, bread or food. And then you must have, you know, you must have light. Well, here's the thing is, is that three out of the four have, uh, we're going to, third one we're going to be talking about today, the three out of the four have already been spoken of. John chapter 7 says, Jesus says, I am the living water. In Genesis chapter 2, Acts chapter 17, and John chapter 20, he says, I am the breath of life, meaning that he gives new life to those. He breathes into us new life. He says, I am the living uh, the living bread that was, we talked about that in in John chapter four verses seven. Uh, sorry, John chapter four and John chapter seven that he is bread. And this morning he says, "I am the, uh, the light of the world." And at the conclusion of it, what does it say? It says, "Science science proves how much you need Jesus," because they're saying those four elements must exist for life to happen. And what does Jesus say? Jesus is saying. Without those things, you can't have life either. And Jesus says all those things to us. He gives us food. He gives us life. He gives us water. I mean, he is everything to us. He is the light of the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Last week, we talked about the, the woman that was caught committing adultery. She was like in the very act of it. And it's the fact that it's the same as coveting. That what it is, basically... What sin comes down to is the fact that you want something so much that you don't care what it costs you. You don't care what it costs you. You'll say, you know what, I just, you know, I just gotta have it. And then when you have it, you know, I'm just, you're happy for a little while. Because remember, the Bible says that there's pleasure in sin for a season. You're happy for a little while. You got that, and then you gotta get something else and something else. This is one of the reasons why I think that you know the United States has one of the biggest divorce rates in the world is because the grass always seems greener on the other side. I've heard this, if the grass seems greener on the other side, why don't you go water your own lawn? Go ahead. The thing is, what you should do is, is Jesus needs to be your everything. Because all you're going to keep doing is, is keep on wanting more and more and more and more. And you're never going to be satisfied. Jesus is everything. Amen. We must not want what somebody else has, but only what Jesus, what the Lord uh, gives or blesses us with whatever he gives us that's what he's entrusted to us we can go out and say I want this I want this I want this and the thing is is that want always leads to more want I've heard some people say well I, I don't make enough money so what do they do they work more hours then they have more money and they say well I need more I need more and I need more I even this is just my introduction I haven't even got to the fact that I need all of I'm just summarizing last week but we need to realize that in this, that Jesus is still, 
the whole situation with the woman that is caught in adultery, that just happened. And then Jesus goes on into verse 12. It wasn't like this was like the next day or the next week. It was right after, right after that whole thing where Jesus says, you know, he that is without sin cast the first stone. And then he goes right back on in teaching. It's like he's unfazed. So in, in verse 12, it says this, then spent Jesus unto the, again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I said, remember, he just continues to keep going on. The whole situation has been kind of taken care of. And some of the rabbis and, and uh, the chief priests and, and scribes were still there. But the rabbis had a saying back then. That is funny because we oftentimes miss this. We go, oh, I am the light of the world. Oh, that's just so wonderful that Jesus here, here is so nice. You know, he just brightened my, my life and... And I'm not discounting the songs that you know kids sing and this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. You know, that's a, that's a wonderful song. But they had a saying and they knew exactly what Jesus was meaning when he says this. They would have a saying that says, O Lord of uh, O Lord of the universe, thou commandest us to light lamps to thee, yet thou art the light of the world, and with thee the light dwelleth. And so when Jesus says this, they become greatly offended. Why? Because Jesus is making him, uh, is making the statement, I am God. I am that light that they're talking about. I am the Lord of the universe. I am all these things. That's why they're mad. Did you ever notice that either people are blessed by Jesus or offended by him? For a person, you know, nowadays, you know, oh, that's supposed to be all about love and all about inclusion. And, oh, you know, I just get part of you know, butterfly feelings and everything else. Everything's wonderful. He either offended people or they were changed and converted. There was no middle ground. There wasn't, oh, I can still you know, uh, keep on sinning and still love Jesus. Jesus uh, hit that head on and said, no, stop it. This is the reason why they don't like it. They're offended because he's trying, he's telling them, I'm the game changer. And they're over there going, no, we like the game how it is. John chapter 1. Verses 4 and 9 say this. In him was life, and the light was the light of men. That was the, that was the true light, which lights every man that comes into the world. Jesus is making these proclamations, saying, I am God. For those that say that Jesus never says that he is God, they haven't read scripture. They don't realize what he's telling them when he's making these statements. The fact that he uses the I am statement shows that he's Shows exactly what he's meaning. In the Old Testament, he says, I am that I am. That's how God revealed himself. So by him just saying, I am, shows, I am telling you, I am God. But he just takes it a step further and says, I am the light of the world. He's attacking their preconceived thoughts. And I say attacking because how many of you, how many of you know that usually if somebody comes up and, and questions what you believe, they get offended. They get greatly offended by it because they don't want to change. Everybody knows that everybody loves change when it's on your own terms. I've not met a person that says, oh, I love change. I just love change. You go over there and try and just paint their house whatever color you want. Oh, I guarantee they'll have a problem with it. But you, but you love change. They love change when it's on their own terms. Jesus comes and says, I don't care what your terms are. I'm going to tell you how it is. I like that about him. 
I'm the kind of person that's you know, you know pretty blunt and straight to the point, if you haven't noticed. The Messiah was often spoken of by the various prophets using light as a light of his coming. They knew this. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1 says this, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. John chapter 3 verse 19, where he makes this proclamation to them as well, to Nicodemus. He says, And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light. Because their uh, their deeds were evil, as my wife you know, spoke about this morning, that darkness is obviously it's associated with evil, the evil deeds that people do. Yeah. You can go up to someone and say, "Well, I like what I'm doing." Just because somebody likes what they're doing or everybody else approves of what they're doing does not necessarily make it right. There's a lot of things that I like to do before I was saved, but I knew that it was actually destroying me. Yeah. Jesus is saying, "There's a better way." I am that better way. Verses 13 and 14 say this. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, You bear uh, bear record of thyself. Your record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know where I came from, and and whether I go, but you cannot... Uh, you cannot tell where I go, uh, where I come, and where I go. The reason why they, they couldn't figure this out because they're actually just calling Jesus a flat-out liar. They say, I mean, look at you know, verse 13. It says, it says you're, you're bearing record of your, yourself, and, you're, and your record's not true. What you're telling me is not true. They're calling Jesus a liar. And Jesus comes right back and lets them know that they have no idea what they're talking about. He just, they come over and say, you're wrong, you're lying, whatever you're saying is wrong. And then Jesus comes and says, you have no idea even where I come from. They think that they know, they think that he's coming from Galilee, like we talked about last week. But originally he was born in Bethlehem, like the scripture said. But he's also born from above, right? Yes. He's born, he came down to be among us. Why? To be the light. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, we'll probably use this verse quite a bit because there's a lot of times... Or they just don't understand why, because the Bible says that they are spiritually discerned, that the natural mind, uh, the natural man, can't even conceive, and you know those kind of thoughts because it's foolishness to them. And what does the Bible say about you know foolishness? Well, the Bible, or sorry, the gospel is foolishness to them that are not saved. Verse fifteen and sixteen says this: You judge after the flesh; I judge no man. And yet, if I judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. They were judging by appearance. We see this, we see this in the previous 11 verses, that they were judging by how people looked. And Jesus doesn't condemn anyone based on, on their appearance, nor was he biased by it. But he judges them by their fruits, by what comes out of them. Whatever is in you, whatever you you watch, listen to, eat, drink, whatever, whatever you put in you is going to come out. I mean, think about it. What ends up happening to a person that has been a long-time drinker? Besides the fact that they stagger probably everywhere they go and their nose is, you know, is, is big and huge and red, 
It's a poison. That's what the point, uh, that's what the thing is. Everybody says, well, this makes me feel wonderful. It makes you feel wonderful for, for that moment. But alcohol in and of itself is a poison. They've even talked about that as you know as what. But what ends up coming out? Everything in your body gets shut down and you slowly fade because you can't do anything. Think about a longtime smoker. What changes? Their voice over time. They begin to talk and their voice is deeper. Which is really strange when you meet a lady that has a deeper voice than you. It's one of those things that whatever you put inside of you, you is going to come out. If you keep on, you know, for, for a long period of time, if you keep on just overeating, what's going to come out? You know, eventually come out. You're going to see yourself as being bigger. Everybody else is going to come around and say that you're bigger. Here's the thing. I've met people that were heterosexual, meaning that they like male and female. You know, they're, they're just like, I'm a male, so I like female. That's, that's what they wanted to do. Then they decided to go the other route. And they became, you know, homosexual. It's amazing what happens to them in a bad sense. All of a sudden, they, uh, they begin to, like, shrink up and turn gray and ashy and whatever. Why? Because you're destroying your body. Whatever you do has a consequence, whether it's good or bad. Verses uh, 17 through 19. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am, I am the one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me bears witness of me. Then said uh, they unto him, Where is your father? And Jesus said, You neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. What is he quoting in here when he talks about the two men? That when you have two, two witnesses, because you know that any person that goes up to a police officer, if it's one person, they may go, okay. But we know that we know that in order for something to you know even go to trial, there had to be at least two or three witnesses. He's all that. He's not. And you know where we got that law from? We got it from scripture. Deuteronomy chapter, two, uh, chapter 17, verse 6 says, this, At the mouth of two or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of, of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness he shall not be put to death. Deuteronomy 19, 15 says, One witness shall not rise up against a man of any iniquity or for any sin. And any sin that he sins at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. It's amazing that our laws that we have in the United States, you know, which originally were based off the Bible, you find out, oh wait, the Bible's not, not just a, you know, a, a good application thing, like, oh, this is a good idea. No, when we as a nation started off this way, the nation was a whole lot better. When we were following the laws in which God's word told us to do, things were so much better. They were so much better. What does it mean if, if something is established? It is true, it's confirmed, and it's worthy of belief. When something has been established, when something has been said by two or three people, you can pretty much believe it, right? Verse 20 says this. These, were, uh, these words spoke Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. 
I quoted this uh, a few weeks ago, and I think it's worthy of repeating again, is this. It's what a, what a word of comfort that is that when we preach the gospel. What does it say in verse 20? It says that his time, had, his hour had not yet come. It reminds us of the prophets who, uh, who before nearly died but didn't. Their lives were, uh, you know, were spared just for their sakes, but because their time had not yet come. There, there, was still some work to, there was still some work to be done. So if you go out and preach the gospel and you come out alive, God's saying, I got some more stuff for you to do. And here's the thing is, is that as the Apostle Paul says, that, you know, that we should consider our life really worth anything. Why? Because Not because we should be all of a sudden like, um, just go out and like, oh, I'm going to go step in traffic and see if you know, the Lord has a plan for my life. But we should do it because of the fact that we know that when we go out and preach the gospel and we come back alive, you know, come back alive is the fact that there's something for us. And even if we are to die, is it really that bad of a thing for us? Because if we are in Christ, where do we go? We go be with him. Amen. Paul himself said, he said, it's better for you that I still remain. But better for me if I go, he says, no matter which way I go, I can't lose. He said, if I live or I die, I can't lose. I got Jesus. I got everything. Yes. 21 through 22 says this. Then Jesus said again unto them, I go my way, and you shall, uh, and you shall seek me, and you shall die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, will he kill himself? Because he said, where I go, you cannot come. The Jews still have no idea of what he's referring to and, and what it means. And the thing is, is that in this, what they're trying to say is, well, if he's talking about committing suicide, then he's going to, then he's not, a, he's not the Messiah anyways. Because if somebody commits suicide, that's one of the, you know, you've probably heard people say that's one of the most selfish things that you can do. Because everything has become about you. The reason why I can speak about this is because of the fact that before I became a believer in Christ, I was extremely suicidal, pondered and thought about, you know, the way that I was going to do it. And it was all about me. The only thing that stopped me was the fact of my mom. I didn't want my mom to have to like put me in the ground. That was the only reason. That was the only reason. Other than that, I said, you know what? I, I said, I can't handle it anymore. I can't handle it anymore. It was all about me. But we know that this is not true. We know that Jesus is not talking about the fact that he's going to try and kill himself. What he's referring to is the fact that, you know what, he's, he's going to say, basically, I'm going to go to heaven, and you're not, if you don't change your ways. 23 and 24 says this, and he said unto them, you are from beneath, and I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, that you shall die in your sins, for you, for you believe not that I am he. He's saying, I am God. I am the one, uh, I am the Messiah, the chosen one. It says, and you shall die in your sins. That's what he's, he's, he's referring to. He's saying, I am from above, you are from beneath. If you want to you know, make it even more plainer, uh, plainer, he says, I am, you know, I am from heaven, I, you know, I am everything. He says, and you are beneath, you are from where? Hell. He says, you're following the ways of Satan. You're following the ways of this world. You're following all everything else. You're not following me. 
He says, and you're going to die in your sins if you don't change. So he's even still pleading with them, even after he's correcting them. How many of you know that if you correct or rebuke somebody, it's an act of love? That's what he's doing. He's trying to rebuke them, so hopefully they'll change. So hopefully they'll get saved and believe on him. 25 and 26. Then said they unto him, Who are you? And Jesus said unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you. But he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. He said, I've been telling you from the beginning. He says, I've been, every, ever since I started my ministry, ever since I came to this world, I've been trying to tell you and you're not listening. Since I've been telling you the same exact thing since I came, and you don't want to listen. I, I, I've even, I even write, you know, written the Old Testament. Obviously, it wasn't the, the Old Testament at that time. He says, I even gave you scriptures to let you know that I was coming, and you should know me. Why? Because the Old Testament speaks of me all throughout it. How do you? He's like, how do you miss this? He says, you're supposed to be a scholar. You're supposed to be doing all these things, and you're missing me. I'm standing right in front of you. What the prophets wrote about me, I'm standing right in front of you, and you're missing it. That's how people can go to church every single week and miss him every single week. Because they already have their preconceived thoughts, their preconceived notions. They don't want to change. They don't want to be corrected or rebuked because that's not of Jesus. And they don't want to be changed. One of the things I asked the Lord right before I read his word is like, Lord, please correct me and, and change me. Because I know I don't have it all together. I know that there are times I sit there and I go, oh, man, I knew that. I read that before. Why did I miss it? I said, oh, God, please. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Don't let Jesus speaking to you just let, you, just let him pass you by. That's what the amazing thing, uh, thing was when Jesus was walking on the water. Did you miss it? There's a little small part in there that, you know, that I didn't mention when I talked about Jesus walking on the water. It says that Jesus was going to go on ahead of them and pass them by, but he saw the disciples crying out. Are you, when, when Jesus is standing right before you, are you going to let him pass you by? Are you going to miss what he's trying to tell you? What he's trying to show you? Verse 27. They understood not that he spoke of, to them of the Father. Don't understand so. They don't understand. And if we don't watch it, we can get the attitude of, you know, the attitude of saying, how can they be so hard-headed? I, I used to do that when I when I read the Old Testament, I read about the Israelites. I'm like, didn't you read? Of course, they didn't have it at that time. It wasn't going to still be written. I was like, don't you understand? Your, the previous generation was blessed. Why? Because they followed God. You're not, you're not blessed right now. You're under a curse. Why? Because you're not following God. Let me see what do I need to do. Mm. I better follow God so I can be blessed. And just so you know that word blessed does not mean like, ooh, I get you know, a new mansion and I get a new Ferrari and I get all these things. The word blessed simply means happy. Last time I checked in this country, we have the, the right to what? Life, liberty, and the pursuit 
of happiness. The only way you're going to find happiness is through Jesus Christ. And that's why I believe that they, the reason why they wrote that. You say, well, why did they say that? Well, they probably didn't think that, you know, uh, you know, some of the definitions and stuff like that would get so skewed and messed up that they, were, that they had it right. Twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Then said Jesus unto them, "When you have lifted up the Son of Man, let say you have lifted up." He's saying some of you are going to be calling for my crucifixion, for my death. He's telling them, "If you don't change, you're going to be the ones cheering for me to die." When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am He. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father has, uh, has not left me alone. For I always do those things that please him. Do you know that in your life, you know, uh, that, that God is always with you? The reason why I say that, because you know, some of you need that encouragement to realize that God's word says that he shall never leave you nor forsake you. To know because you're going through life and you're going, you know what? I feel alone. He's with you. Yes. Others of you need to realize this, that when you're sinning, he's still there. He's watching you. When you think that you're getting away with something, he's still there. He's still watching you and seeing all the stuff that you're doing, seeing how you're causing that drift and that divide between him. Do you know that it breaks the heart of God when we continually rebel against him? That's why his word says, that he is angry with the wicked every day because he knows that sin is bringing a divide to those people and he says no stop it just the same way that you would if you saw your you know you saw your child wandering down the street and you saw a big semi saying no and i guarantee any parent in this room any grandparent any any aunt, uncle, any family member, even if you didn't know the child, would run out there and try and save that child. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, all of a sudden we're going, well, they have their own way. They, whatever they want to believe. Sorry, it's just got a little bit more real in the place. He says, not until he dies on the cross will they, not all, but some would not understand. He says, because God's will is the first and foremost in his life. We know that it was, that, that Jesus you know, was having a hard time in, in this physical body. Why? Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, God, if it be your will, may this cup pass from, uh, from me. But if it is not your will, I mean, but if it is your will. But if it is your will, I will do it. God's will was first and foremost in him. Is that your only desire? Is that the only thing that drives you? Say, I want to do what God wants me to do. Not what somebody over, uh, comes over and tries to discourage me. Do you know where most of the discouragement comes is other believers? Because other believers will come over to you. And that's not what God said. God wouldn't have you do that. God doesn't want you to embarrass yourself. God, oh, just stop. Don't you know that's going to you know, cause Jesus to be made fun of because of you. Last time I checked, Jesus was made fun of for me. Jesus says in, 
In John chapter 4, verse 34, it says, uh, he says, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Is that your desire? John chapter 5, verse 30, it says, I can of my own do my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father who has sent me. John 6.38 For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Yeah. What's his will? That's one of those things I've seen in sermons. What's God's will for your life? Books written about it. What is God's will for your life? And they want this big prophetic moment where like light shines from down from heaven. It comes out and goes, you shall be my pastor. No! I was kidding. Um, but you have all those, you want that moment. You sit there and go, I, I gotta have it. I gotta have this moment. Like, you know, where Jesus is, you know, getting baptized. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's what the moment that we want. Do you want to know what God's will for your life is? I'm going to share it for you, and you're not going to like it. I can guarantee it. I can guarantee it. John chapter, I'll say, I should say, some of you won't like it. All right. John chapter 15, verse 10 says this. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. He also says, he that, has the, he that has my commandments keeps them. He it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall love, uh, be loved to my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. We love him by faith alone. We don't do something just because we're like, okay, if I do this for him, he'll love me more. No, he loves you. But how do we know if you love someone, you do stuff for them? Why? Because you know it pleases them. Right? Well, that sounds like a works-based salvation. No, it's not a works-based salvation. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the fact that you love him so much that you want to do everything possible that his word says to do. Sometimes what he tells us is not going to feel the best. And we may not understand it, but we're supposed to do it anyways. If God tells you to build an ark, you better build an ark. Noah did. He had 300 years of scorn and shame. We don't live that long anymore, so you don't have to worry about 300 years of being made fun of. What are the commandments Jesus is referring to? He says this in Matthew chapter 22. He says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. He says, This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is what we're not seeing in the world with all the riots and the protests and everything else and the looting. They're not loving their neighbor as yourself because if they would, this would never have happened. And I said this last week, I'm not promoting the fact of what happened to George Floyd because I honestly think that that was horrendous and heinous. But what does rioting and looting have to do with remembering somebody who died in a heinous way? As a bonus. Revelation. And here's the thing is, this is what our reward is, that when we do what pleases him, when we do what his word says, love your God, love God, and love your neighbor. This is what it says. Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. Blessed are they that 
do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. The city is heaven. The city is where we, we're going. The city is what we're wanting to do. And what does he say? It says those that do his commandments, those that love God with everything you got in them, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And these are not too possible or too hard to keep. First John chapter 5, verse 3 says this, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Verse 30. And he spoke, he spoke these words and many believed on him. When we speak the truth to people, people will believe. Some won't, but some will. I think we always want people to accept everything that we have, uh, that we say and say, well, why didn't this person do it? And we stop doing it because they didn't do it. We're supposed to preach the gospel. That's what we're called to do. If they receive it, we believe it, right? If they, if they receive it, they, uh, they, they believe Jesus. They go on and do it. I want to tell you something. I want to go back to verse 12 for a moment. I am the light of the world and there is no darkness in when the light of Jesus is preached, darkness doesn't exist. I want to show this in a moment. Look at you. She showed you before with the candles and everything else. She showed you that with light there is no darkness, right? We're going to go over here, here a moment. Start all off. When we begin to realize and look around here because a lot of you have told me and said that it feels like it's getting darker and darker and darker every day. That it's not how it was three months ago. That everything just shifted in a moment. That all of a sudden everything seems different and nothing is the same. And we begin to have this idea that all of a sudden that Jesus is no longer in the world. But the thing is, is that we see in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16, where Jesus says that we are to be the light. That we are to follow him. And when a darkness ultimately comes and every, everything is shut out around us, when every light is turned off, every light, we begin to have this view and go, I don't understand it. Why is life so dark? And the thing is, is what happened to his believers is that we've allowed people to dim our light. But here's the thing. When we begin to tell people about Jesus and show them Jesus, what ends up happening? Light utterly destroys darkness. Is it dark anymore? You say, well, it's not as as dark as it was. But when we say that we are going to be the light, as he is light, that we're going to let Jesus, who is the light in us, shine out from us, where he says, greater is he that is in me. What begins to happen is that the darkness begins to get destroyed. And there's nothing that can be healed. There's nothing. Darkness cannot exist in light. They cannot do it. If light is destroyed by the darkness. If light exposes what Jesus went to the cross to die for, if one day everything will be laid bare before the eye of the Lord, we cannot hide anything from him anyways. 
Why don't we expose our sin, that darkness that some of us are trying to hide to Jesus now that the works of sin would be destroyed? So our light isn't dim. So our light, all of a sudden, because of you, someone else is saying, you know what, I'm not going to let my light be dim. I'm going to let it shine. Yes. I'm going to let it shine. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to, to what he has done, whether it be good or not, whether it be good or bad. When light happens, when we say Jesus, I don't want my light to be dim anymore. You have this promise, as I quoted, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Don't let someone, don't let this world dim your light. Let it shine brightly and the other ones will catch on. In him is no light, uh, sorry, in him is no darkness, but only light. Correct? Yes. If you're letting Jesus who lives in you, and greater is he that is in you, if you let him shine forth in your light, the thing is, what darkness is in you? None. I want you to get this idea, this concept, that light utterly destroys darkness. I could turn this light off again because somebody hurt my feeling. Or somebody said, y'all, you're being way too zealous. And it's completely dark in here again. Or, I didn't say, you know what, I don't care because I'm not living for this world. I'm living you know, for, for the one, the place where the Bible says that he has a mansion prepared for me. I, I'm preparing for the one that I love, for the one who died for me. I'm preparing for my Savior, my Lord, and I'm going to let my light shine no matter what is said about me. Say, I don't care. I want to tell Jesus to everyone. If I could have every head bowed and every eye closed. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. God, that you are the light of the world and you called us to shine our light, to shine you to, to those around us. And so, Lord, I know that there are ones in this place that don't know you, ones that are watching that don't know you. And so, Lord, I ask this morning that they would, they would realize that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But they would receive the gift of God, which is eternal life through you. That they would turn their back on all the sin, all the bad, all the things that they've been doing. And as Mark says in Mark chapter 1, repent and believe the gospel. God, that they would realize it's not just a physical death, but it's a spiritual death. That we not trade in the things of this world for what God has for us. That we not say, you know what, this moment I'm happier doing this than I am following Jesus.
So this morning, if that's you, you say, you know what? I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I've walked away from him or I never knew, never knew him at all. But this morning, you know, I'm tired of being in darkness. I'm tired of uh, following the ways of this world. I want the light of Jesus Christ in my life. I want him to be my life. I want to be born again, as the Bible says. If that's you, I just ask that you would raise your hand this morning. And secondly, I want to encourage you with this. But I also want to challenge you in this. His word says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. If you're a believer in Christ, he's not going to leave you. I want to challenge you in this. Don't let somebody else dictate how much light is coming out of your life. Amen. When somebody tries to, tries to take that basket and put it over that light in your life, put it over you, and try to squelch that light, light kick that bushel off. Cook the, kick that basket off and say, you know, I'm going to let my light shine. Just like that kid song says, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Right? You're not going to let anybody else what? Do what? Blow it out. And I want to encourage you that he is with you always. Let that light shine wherever you go. So in the next few moments, I want to challenge you. Say, Lord, have I been allowing the things of this world to darken that light, to dim that light? And if you have, say, God, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm going to let my light shine wherever I go. So for the next few moments, check your hearts.